This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This case looked refreshing at first. It took me to Milwaukee, the brewing capital of the USA. But it occurred to me later, for a guy who appreciates a good head on a glass of beer, I take lousy care of my own. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar, starring Charles Russell. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, he's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Home Office, Ambassador Life and Casualty Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Franklin Haley, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my assignment as bodyguard to your policyholder, Ann Connolly. Or, it may have been love at first sight, but the last sight was down the barrel of a 45 automatic. Expense account, item one, two ninety-five. One copy of The Case of the Playful Siamese, a novel of detection and suspense. It was a story about a private eye named Dexter Payne. But before I could learn whether poor Dexter was dead or alive at the end of Chapter 1, the phone rang, and there you were, Mr. Haley, telling me I'd leave for Milwaukee on the next plane. So I returned the book to the lending library, bought a copy of my own, and came to your office to find out what my assignment was all about. Come in, Dollar. Come in, come in. Thank you. How are you, Mr. Haley? Fine, my boy, fine. Glad to see you again. Oh, sit down, sit down. Thank you. Ah, adding to your store of knowledge, I see. What are you reading? Oh, uh, the, the case of the playful Siamese. Bah, crime fiction, trash. When there's good literature available, why waste your time on such mediocre drivel? What do you think you're playing, old coward? Millions of dollars taken in on it every year. Well, what's the difference as long as you're not taking in? Oh, you bet they'll not get a penny from me. Oh, yes, they will. Huh? What's that? Oh, I said uh, Will. Will uh, Shakespeare. You know, Hamlet, Macbeth, Othello, crime fiction. <clears throat> no comparison. That's different. Anybody knows that. Uh, well, I guess we'd better get down to business. Your plane leaves in an hour and a half, 6.30. This girl who needs a bodyguard, who is she, and what's she afraid of? Uh, it's a sad, tragic case. The result of a misdirected, uh, surely not faultless life, but nevertheless a situation that demands outside help. Oh, there, there now, don't go to pieces. All I asked was what's her name and what's she afraid of. Her name is Anne Connolly. Six years ago, she had the misfortune to fall in love with a man named Neil Grafter, a man of violent passions, jealousy, and so on. He misrepresented himself to her. He plied her with luxuries. And then, practically on the eve of the wedding, he was arrested for grand theft. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think I can ad-lib the rest. While he was in prison, she didn't get tired of the luxuries he'd given her, but she did get tired of waiting for him. Well, he had lied to her, and five years is a long time. True. The point is, Grafter's coming out on parole today, and Miss Connolly is terrified at the prospects of her first meeting with him. His violence, you know. Mm-hmm. He once threatened to kill her if she so much as looked at another man. We want you with her when Grafter arrives. Well, why me? Aren't there bodyguards for hire in Milwaukee? Well, we hold a large paid-up policy on her life, and we want her protected. Besides, she's practically penniless. She couldn't even afford to hire a private detective. 
You know, it's a tragic case. Then, on the other hand, possibly all her fears are imaginary. Perhaps nothing will happen at all. Look, Mr. Haley, you can count on one thing. If I'm mixed up in it, something will happen. Expense account, item two, $55.10, airfare, Hartford to Milwaukee. I switched on my reading light, settled back in my reclining seat, and once more buried my nose in the case of the playful Siamese. I should have buried the book. It turned out that Dexter Payne had lived through chapter one, and he really started to live in chapters two and three. A beautiful blonde in a slinky negligee had just made herself comfortable on Dexter's lap, and guess what happened? A fuse on the plane blew, my reading light went out, and I spent the rest of the flight in a dark cabin in a black mood. Expense account, item three, 250, cab fare, airport to the address of Ann Connolly, which, uh, for a girl who couldn't afford a detective, was quite a hunk of a dress, uh, unless she was living on Friends. Good evening. In case you are looking for Miss Connolly, she is not here. In fact, she has went out for the entire evening. Oh? Well, I uh, think she's expecting me. At least she sent for me. She sent for you? Yeah. I'm Johnny Dollar from the insurance company. Oh, how dense of me. She did mention in passing that a detective would show up. Step inside, please. Thanks. Just hang up your coat and things. She wishes you to remain until she comes home, which could be any time after the joints close up. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, in the meantime, I have been instructed to see that you are comfortable. So uh, what would you care for, a straight slug or a highball? Well, a highball would be fine. Hmm. Step this way, please. Yeah. Oh, uh, the floor's waxed, so watch that throw rug if you don't wish to land on your ear. Okay, thanks. Yes, a nice place. Do you own it? Most decidedly not. To me, it is a sweatshop. I am Cora. I am Miss Connolly's personal maid. Personal maid? I agree that I do not look the type. I only accepted the position because I was on my uppers. My regular racket is specialty dancing. Please be seated. Thanks. Uh, Cora, if I may call you Cora... Please do. Cora, as I understand it, uh, Miss Connolly needed a bodyguard, but she couldn't afford to hire one. So uh, she asked the insurance company that holds a policy on her life to supply one. Well, that's me. And now I find out she lives in a house on the right side of the tracks and has a personal maid. I'm confused. Listen, Mr. Dollar. Hmm? It is my opinion that preventive measures should start at home, if you know what I mean. No, I don't. In other words, she needs a bodyguard like I need a foster mother. What do you mean by that? From what I have saw, she has more men hanging around her protector than Princess Margaret. You know, if they were divided into a line in a backfield, they could walk over Notre Dame? Especially a handsome specimen named Ray Merrick, whom she is dating tonight. Well, what about this guy who's coming out on parole? Pardon me? Uh, Neil Grafter. While he was cooling his heels in prison, she was cooling her love for him. And she's afraid of what will happen when she tells him. This is news to me. Of course, I have been in Miss Connolly's employ only a few days, but I have not heard mentioned any kind of a grifter or a stir bum in her past. Now, as regards to your highball, would you care for scotch, bourbon, brandy, soda, or plain water? Make it scotch, soda, and no ice. Um, 
Hey, Cora, if you don't mind a compliment, that outfit you're wearing, naked sandals, quilted skirts, and that uh, sweater make you look less like a personal maid and more like a personal friend of Errol Flynn's. I should live so long, but I thank you for your appreciation. It's part of my condition here that I am allowed access to Miss Connolly's wardrobe. Except for, uh, here, with the same size. Here's your scotch and. Thanks. <laughs> and, uh, if mm. there's anything else that would add to your comfort while you wait, name it. All I need now is an easy chair and a lamp. I'll get back to the case of the playful Siamese. Pardon me? So there I was, Johnny Dollar, with Johnny Walker in one hand, Dexter Payne in the other, and a few questions simmering in my mind. They really boiled down to one. Namely, what was I doing there? Oh, well. In Chapter 5, Dexter finally found a clue. Yeah, I wish things would work out as easily for me sometime. I was just turning to Chapter 6, when guess what happened? Anne Connolly came home. Morning, darling. Have a nice chat before you go home. Huh? I'm in. The first thing I noticed about Miss Connolly, after the size of her escort, was that there was more similarity between her and Cora than just body measurements. Their hair was the same shade of brown, and at first glance, at least, even their features were the same. Then she saw me. Oh. Oh, you startled me. But you must be Mr. Dollar from the insurance company. Check. Oh, this is Mr. Merrick, my lawyer, and my friend, Mr. Dollar. How are you? How do you do? I hope you've been comfortable. Thanks, I have. Too comfortable. Usually when I'm sent to guard a body, the body is there to guard. Not out on the town until 2.30 in the morning. Well, of all the... Now, wait, wait. Wait a minute, honey. Uh, We thought it was a smart move, Dollar, to get Ann out of the house and keep her out of it until you got here. All right, Mr. Merrick. While you're in the mood to answer questions, maybe you'll tell me why, with a layout like this and a personal maid, did Miss Connolly turn herself into a charity case? Why didn't she hire a local muscle man? That is none of your business, and if you don't oh, like and, your work, and, go and, back to Hartford now. Go back and, tonight. And, oh. darling, hold your My temper. Now, you'll have to forgive Miss Connolly. Star. Dollar, her nerves are on edge. You can understand that. A dollar, the fact is that she couldn't afford to hire protection. A, because her funds are low at the moment. B, because there's, well, there's no telling how long she'll need protection. There's no way of knowing when Grafter will show up. Does that answer your question? I had planned a winter in Bermuda. I hope Grafter makes up his mind before the thaw sets in. I only hope you're as sure of yourself as you sound, Mr. Dollar. I try to be. Um, well, I think I'll skip that drink, Ann, now that you're in safe hands. I think I'll go home, get some sleep. Of course, Ray, if you think it's all right. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes, I'll call you in the morning. Uh, Dollar. Yeah? If there's trouble tonight, Ann has my phone number. Oh, thanks very much. But I'd rather have a baseball bat. I learned early in my career that an excellent way to court disaster is to wait for trouble because it usually sneaks up behind you. But it was too late then to go looking for it, so I made the rounds of the house, checking the locks on doors and windows. Then I turned off the lights and hunched myself up on a couch that would have tested the stoicism of a bed-of-nails-type Indian faker and tried to stay awake. (sighs) I wondered about Dexter Payne. I wondered if the playful Siamese was a cat or somebody from Siam. And I just about made up my mind to duck into the closet with my trusty Ronson and read until the fluid ran out. And guess what happened? A door closed quietly. And a white-robed figure floated toward me. Dollar. 
Pardon the intrusion of your privacy, but there are certain things I'd like to hash over with you in secret. Oh, wait till I see if I can straighten my back, Cora, and I'll make room for you on the couch. Many thanks. All right. I hope you don't mind my state of attire, but I didn't bother with the robe in case the noise of the closet door might waken Miss Connolly. That double-talking nail. Oh, here, I'll put my jacket on your shoulders. Thanks, but I can only stay a minute. Listen, Johnny. Hmm? You may think me meddlesome since it's none of my affair, but I couldn't help but overhear. And them two were feeding you a line of downright untruths earlier in the p.m. Well, this is the best news I've had since I got here. Give me more. It was in regard to Miss Connolly's financial standing. I happen to know that dame is as solvent as the state of Wisconsin. Well, on that, I haven't read up. She's fat, and I'm not casting aspersions on my own figure. Oh, please don't. How'd you find this out, Cora? It is not that I make a habit of putting my nose where it does not belong. But when I see a book lying open, I can't keep my eyes away. Yeah, I know just how you feel. Well, in this case, it happened to be her bank book. And with that balance, she could afford J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. Why are you telling me all this? Have you got something against her? Mr. Dollar, if you are casting aspersions upon my honesty... It's only a faint suspicion, but you could be trying to talk me into leaving the case and leaving Miss Connolly unprotected. Well, I am... Thoroughly disappointed. A fine lot of thanks after I braved possible pneumonia. Oh, Cora. It so happens that I told you because I am a strong believer that it is decidedly crummy for anyone to take advantage of their fellow man. Now, look, Cora. But from now on, you can take a flying leap. Cora. If you were dying of thirst, I would... <laughs> What's that? As I stumbled across the room and into the pitch-black hallway leading to the bedrooms in the rear of the house... I wondered what Dexter Payne would do in a similar situation. To both Dexter and me, life was just a bowl of uncracked nuts, unopened Chinese fortune cakes, and unanswered questions headed up by Who Shot Whom? In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar, but first... The Case of the Paper Stars, a thrilling true story from the police file, starts a three-week serialization on CBS's Gangbusters tonight. Don't miss the first episode of this story of police on the trail of a gang that terrorized three states. Also on CBS tonight, you'll hear the latest adventures of that famous private eye, Philip Marlowe. The adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS stations. Tune in, tune in this fall. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Connolly's hysterical screams told me the way to her room, but before I got there, a stream of cold night air blowing into the hall through an open door to another bedroom stopped me. The draft was coming from a smashed-out window, and the smell of cordite that came with it meant that this room had been the shooting gallery. The corner of my eye picked up the corner of a white garage just as a king-sized shadow of a man crossed it, and I went out after him. I made the garage in a dozen heartbeats. Believe me, the way my heart was going, that was record time, and as I skidded around the corner... An arm about the size of a fire hose came out of the darkness, crooked around my neck, and pulled. 
face that loomed up above and in front of mine was ugly, bearded, and wild-eyed. So, you're working against me, too. Oh, let go. What's the matter with you? Yeah, sure, I let go. Oh. Well, you must be Neil Grafter. I didn't kill her, did I? Because she wasn't in her bed. Oh, where was she? With you? No, she wasn't with me. What's the matter with you, anyway? So she went sour on you. Happens every day. They even write songs like, Don't Cry Joe about it. Look, you spent enough time in prison to learn not to like it. Why set yourself up to go back for the rest of your life? You were smart enough to get out on parole. Why don't you get smart enough to pull yourself together? Prison? I don't remember any prison. I forget things sometimes. Oh, but... I could ask the doctor. No. No, not anymore. Uh, who are you? Another one of her men? Look, uh, Neil, why don't we go someplace where it's more comfortable than this, huh? What? Someplace nice and warm, and we'll talk. Oh, no. Oh, no. Everybody tries to play tricks on me. Nice and warm, with bars on the windows, and people making noise all over the place. Well, you're not going to stop me. Nobody is. Well, why don't you let me help you, then? Come on. That's what the doctor kept saying. Uh, you're a doctor. Well, I don't need any help. I can do it myself. Now, calm down, Grafter. With my own hand. Here, I'll show you, doctor. No. Oh. Oh, why should I kill you? Uh, you don't help me. Just stay away from me. He went. And what's more, I watched him go. One, I didn't have enough strength to get off the ground. Two, if, if I'd had the strength, my extreme dislike of being choked to death would have argued me out of going after him. Three, the guy was obviously nuts. When I finally could make it, I staggered back to the house. You can turn on the lights, Miss Connolly. He's what? gone. No, wait a minute. On second thought, maybe we'd better make sure all the shades are down. He might come back. might say he saved my life. At least when he got halfway through the job, he changed his mind about killing me. You talked to Neil? I tried to, but he didn't understand anything I said. And Miss Connolly, he didn't talk about wardens and paroles as in prisons. He talked about doctors and barred windows and noisy people as in mental hospitals. Do I translate that to that he's off his Cora, please, go over there and sit down. Will you? I'll get to you later. Well, pardon me. Just pretend I'm elsewhere someplace. After all, it was only my bed that he blasted. Did you hear that, Miss Connolly? Yes. Yes, I know it was a horrible thing to do, having Cora sleep in my room. I was half crazy with fear. I... Oh, why doesn't Ray get here? He promised to hurry. Maybe we can air some of the linen before he arrives. Instead of being in prison, which was a story I got, Grafter was in a hospital for the criminally insane, nursing a big yen to ventilate your head. Is that right? Please, I... 
Yes. Yes, that's true. He escaped a month ago. A month ago? Yes. The doctors notified the police here that I was in danger and they supplied a 24-hour guard for the house. But after a month, they, they decided Neil had gone someplace else. So they withdrew the guard. Oh, great. So the only people left who cared more about your fate than they did about mine was your insurance company. Well, we had to do something. But I didn't have any insurance. What? So Ray bought a policy for me and then we contacted the company. Uh-huh. Legal blackmail, huh? Which brings to mind a meaty little question. Did you lie to the general manager, Franklin Haley, about where and what grafter really was? Or did that misplaced con man hoodwink me into this mess? We told him the truth. I swear we did. Okay. I hope he lives through my expense account because that little trick is going to cost him. Expense account, item four, $43. Breakfast the next morning. Over which I managed to steal a few moments alone with Dexter and his dilemma. In Chapter 7, Dexter finally came upon the corpus delicti. The only sign of life in the place was a Siamese cat playing with a ball of string. But before I could find out how the cat figured into things, the phone rang. Hello? Mr. Dollar, please. Yeah, this is Dollar. Your call to Melbourne State Hospital is ready. Oh, fine. Go ahead, please. Hello? Dr. Downer here. Uh, who is that, please? I, I am so busy. Oh, well, this is Johnny Dollar, doctor. I'm an insurance investigator. But uh, I don't want any. I, I am so busy, please. Oh, no, doctor, investigator. I want to talk to you about a patient of yours, uh, Neil Grafter. Grafter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, the paranoid schizophrenic. Oh, a very interesting case. Uh, complete fragmentation of the mind, uh, total loss of synthesis. But uh, he is uh, no longer here for a while. Yeah, I, I know. He was here last night. What, what, what? Oh, uh, what, uh, what was his condition? Uh, uh, perhaps a state of passive negativism? All I know about his condition is that it's dangerous. He tried to kill his ex-girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember extremely strong obsession. An extremely strong man. Look, I've been hired to protect this woman. Now, what I want to know is, will he try again? There is no doubt. But when? Tonight? I would say tonight. The degree of hallucinatory enmity towards this woman and everybody about her, the depths of his uh, obsession... Whoa, wait a minute, doctor, wait a minute. You're way over my head. But you do think he'll be back tonight? I am positive. Thank you, Dr. Kildare. Oh, and all Dexter has to worry about is a playful Siamese. <laughs> Waiting for a paranoia killer can be depressing all by itself. But to make it more so, in Milwaukee, the sun went into hiding behind a layer of dark gray clouds about 4 p.m., and it started to snow. It had the mood of Wuthering Heights, with icicles. At 5.30, daylight shut down, the night shift took over. And at 8, after a dinner that nobody dined on, I didn't brush my teeth, I lied in them. And uh, what kind of protective measures do you propose to make tonight, Dollar? Oh, none. As far as I'm concerned, this is a night off. Mm. Uh, Dr. Downer out at the hospital, who knows Grafter better than anyone else, says he won't be back tonight. Oh, I wish we could be sure of that. Yeah, so do I. How can he make such a positive statement? Probably because he spent his life with people like Grafter. No, I tell you, there's nothing to worry about. Miss Connolly, I want you and Ray to go out, just like you did last night. Cora and I will stay here. All right, if you think it's the thing to do. But I'm, I'm worried about Cora after what happened to her bed last night. 
Uh, how can we protect her? It's a little late to worry about that after you set her up. But forget it. Just to make it safe, she won't be in that room. I will. Expense account, item five, $50, refreshments. I needed something to bolster my courage, so I ordered it. At 2.30 a.m., things were looking good for Neil Grafter. Ray Merrick and Ann Connolly had returned from their date. Merrick had left. As Ann Connolly was trying to sleep in her room, Cora was on the couch in the living room, and there was a rolled-up blanket in her bed to make it look like that's where she was. And me? I was out in the snow, huddled near the incinerator, with an iron poker freezing to my hand, with a good view of the house and a poor outlook on life. Nothing happened till about four o'clock. That's when I spotted a familiar-looking big shadow of a man moving across the garage toward the house. I got up, but a flurry of wind-driven snow swept in front of me, and when it had passed, I could still see the window to Cora's room, but I couldn't see the man. Then I heard him at Ann Connolly's window. He started away from the house, and I started toward him. I met him under the clothesline on a flying tackle. No, no. Oh, let go of me. Merrick. Oh, let me go. Get away from me. Uh-oh, Merrick, but I'll put you away. Well, how do you like that? When an insurance policy enters the picture, you can't even depend on a maniac. Now, take it easy, Cora. This is a fine time to start falling to pieces. Oh, why doesn't the doctor get here? Now, don't worry. He's coming. I've called for an ambulance. If Miss Connolly kicks off, I will hold him personally responsible. Now, look, Cora, I appreciate your feeling toward your fellow man, but Miss Connolly made a pigeon out of you. She hired you because you looked like her. She had you parade around in front of those windows wearing her clothes. I am aware of all those double dealings. She even had you sleeping in her room where Grafter almost blasted you. Now, what I want to know is why are you so anxious about her recovery? Because she owes me a week's pay. If this sawbones doesn't pull her through, I'll sue the city of Milwaukee for my arrears. Expense account, item six. $150 for services rendered while I was on the giving end of a blood transfusion, which Ann Connolly needed before she could be moved. One item, at least, that you shouldn't balk at since she is your policyholder. The doctors give her a 50-50 chance to live, but uh, even if the scales tip the other way, I think your money is safe. Because her beneficiary, Ray Merrick, is guilty, among other things, of attempted fraud, since he planned on having Neil Grafter blamed for the shooting he did. Expense account, uh, item seven, five cents, newspaper, which reported that the police had returned Grafter to the hospital from which he had escaped. He did come back, as Dr. Kildare said he would. But uh, he was a little late and missed the party. Uh, item eight, $55 and 10 cents. Airfare, Milwaukee to Hartford. Expense account total? Oh, yeah, Dexter Payne. You know, I never did finish that book. After those cats I'd been jiving with, I couldn't care less about a playful Siamese. Uh, expense account total... $845.30. Signed, yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. 
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Sandra Gould, Bill Johnstone, John Daner, Bill Conrad. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer is Bob Stevenson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly... Johnny Dollar. A whale of a Christmas present for a few moments brain scratching. Could be. There's $54,000 in the Sing It Again jackpot now. $25,000 of it in cold, hard cash and the rest in wonderful prizes. By just listening in to Sing It Again tonight, you get a fine free Christmas present. Lots of amusing riddles, plenty of good music. And maybe you'll get that $54,000 call from Danny Seymour. Singing Again is heard for a full hour every Saturday night on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for the Vaughn Monroe Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Murder is a steady occupation, has its handicaps. The hours are irregular, the conditions under which you work aren't always ideal, and there's no social security. Of course, the pay is high, but so are the gallows from which, sooner or later, they hang you. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. If you're a confidential investigator, and if you're smart, you put yourself on a schedule. You get to the office at nine and get out of it at five. You eat a leisurely dinner and spend the rest of the evening with a book you hope is good. That is, if you're smart. If you're me, you get restless, and around midnight, you drop in at Willie's wagon. You find Willie morosely staring at his coffee urn, a small but not underprivileged brunette with her head at the far end of the counter, sobbing. For a wild moment, you think that maybe Willie has wronged our little Nell. You then dismiss such happy fancies. You try to ignore the brunette who keeps right on sobbing, and you make a brilliant opening remark. What's new, Willie? Ha! Well, all right. How are the hamburgers? Not new. Think I should take a chance on one? You got the pendants? No. I'll make you a hamburger. Thanks. Hey, better have a cup of coffee first. Why? Deaden your stomach nerves. I've tasted your hamburgers before. Well, I ain't improved since then. Willie. Huh? I know she didn't come with the place. I've never seen her here before. She's pretty, but does she have to make that noise? Uh, she is suffering from grief. 
She had the blue plate dinner here? According to what she tells me, she had a great loss. What did she lose? Her bull fiddle. A what? A bull fiddle. You know, them bloated violins. I know. Uh, she plays a double bass. What's that? A Carnegie Hall for a bull fiddle. Oh, yeah, yeah, except uh, nobody plays on a bull fiddle that she ain't got. It would be harder anyway. Come to think of it, losing one of those things is a little like misplacing the Empire State Building. It was swiped off her. Hey, here's your hammer. Thanks. Uh, Mr. Craig, uh, maybe you can help Susie. Uh, she don't find a bull fiddle, she is liable to be out of work. She is accustomed to eating, so I do not think this will be good for her. Uh, Susie, come here. Huh? Uh, I want you to meet Mr. Craig. Oh. Hi, Mr. Craig. Hello, Susie. Mr. Craig ain't only a friend of mine, Susie. He's also a confidential investigator. Uh, you ought to tell him your trouble. I only got one trouble. You lost your double bass. Uh-huh. Only the kind of music I play is the bull fiddle. Where did you lose it? At the club, the 4920 club. You're part of the band that plays the club? Uh-uh. I play solos. The customers like it because I'm so small and the bull fiddle's so big. And besides, I'm cheaper than the band, so they like uh, it. Bull fiddle isn't the kind of a thing a man could slip into his coat pocket. Uh, there can't be many things harder to steal. Whoever stole mine didn't worry about that. Well, when did you miss it? About an hour ago. I done my number, went out for a walk, and when I got back... No bull fiddle? No bull fiddle. Well, there must have been people around Well, the who... club closed early tonight. There wasn't anybody around when I got back except Brinker. Brinker? Who's Brinker? Well, he's almost as big as you are, but not so cute. Well, I'd have trouble recognizing him from that. Well, uh, he's sort of a caretaker club bouncer, you know? I don't. Uh, I'm afraid I may find out, though. All right, Susie, let's go over to the club. Maybe I'll be able to come up with something that might help. Gosh. Thanks, Mr. Craig. Hey, wait a minute, Tom. I'm closing up anyways. I'll tag along. Why? Well, uh, I'm intrigued. You know, I would like to meet a character who goes around swiping bull fiddles. I would also like to warn him to lay off the Brooklyn Bridge. It's fastened down. Willie closed up, then the three of us piled into my car, and we took off. And eventually, we arrived at the club. The club is dark. Well, I get a key to the stage door. It's just down the alley here. Mr. Craig, why would anybody want to steal my bull fiddle? I don't know. There's a truck parked outside the stage door. Hey, it's coming straight down the alley. It is! Susie, Willie, get up against the building. Club now. Okay. You all right? That truck didn't care much whether it ran us down or not. Back of it was open and... Susie, you had a case with a bull fiddle? Uh-huh. It was on the truck. Oh, with a fiddle in it. Hey, we ought to be chasing it or something. Had too big a jump on us. I got the license number, though. 4X354. Maybe it'll come in handy later on. Right now, uh, let's get into the club. We're gonna lock the stage door after the bull is stolen, huh? Another one like that, and I'll see to it you're forced to eat in your own lunch wagon. Nobody could be that cruel. Hey, it's open. They had no chance to lock it. Just a work light on over the dance floor. Oh, Mr. Craig, 
Yeah. One large man lying down. That's... That's Brinker. Well, he's alive. He was slugged and passed out, but I don't think there's any permanent damage. Hey, Mr. Craig. Yeah? Over here at the edge of the floor. On my way. Hmm. Pretty. Well, that... That's my ball fiddle. It was a double bass, all right. Whoever had left it here had propped it up against the ringside table. Bull fiddle isn't a thing of beauty, usually though I don't mind looking at one. This one I didn't like to look at, uh, think about. That's yours, Susie? Yes, it is. The last time you saw it, uh, was it out here on the floor? Oh, no, it was back of the little bandstand down there. It was brought out only when I did my number, and then it was... Is there a phone in the place? In your office, why? This may surprise you. The reason why I want a phone is to make a phone call. We're surprised. But uh, what are you going to call about? Susie's got her fiddle back. Sure. She hasn't got the case, though. Is that something to get excited about? A bullfiddle case? I don't know. I hope not. You're worried about something, aren't you? Lead me to the phone, Susie. I want to find a truck. Maybe it was the empty club. Shadows huddling in the unlit corners. Floor pale and shining in the silence that did the job on my nerves. Whatever it was, they were jumping. Lieutenant Rogers, homicide. Trav, this is Barry. Things are quiet down here at homicide, Barry. Do you have to finish this call? Now stop playing with your Phi Beta Kappa key. I want to know who owns a truck. License number 4X354. Run you over? It came close. 4X354. Hang on. If I can wake anybody up over in motor vehicles, I'll have it for you in a couple of minutes. Thanks, Trev. I hung on. I thought of Susie playing that bull fiddle. I wondered if she was any good as a musician. I decided she wouldn't have to be very good as a musician. Barry? Yes? Name's Christopher Malone. Residence address, 74 East Lake. Garage at 12 River. That's what I wanted. You got it. Barry. Yeah? Need a hand? I don't think so, Trav. All I've got so far is a sort of hunch. Probably won't mean a thing. Go on back to that bridge game. No one in the department plays bridge while on duty. They play pinochle. So long, Barry. So long. Come on, Susie. Let's go back and see if Brinker has come, too. What's wrong with you, Mr. Brinker? I got a headache. In both heads? But this here ain't my head. This here's a lump on my head. Are uh, you a Brinker? Well, what happened? I was straightening up the place, and all of a sudden, I feel somebody breathing down the back of my neck, so I says, stop breathing down the back of my neck. So he stops breathing down the back of my neck, and he hits me on the head. I shouldn't have told him to stop breathing down the back of my neck. Maybe not. Did you see who it was? I didn't see nothing or nobody. Too bad. Well, Susie, I'll take you home. Uh, Will, are you coming along? Well, sure. Brinker, can you lock it up somewhere? Yeah, sure. One of the back rooms. Fine. Let's go. Well, it's all mixed up. Someone stole your fiddle. You sure of that, Susie? Oh, I'm sure of it, Mr. Gray. 
Then the fiddle was returned and the case was stolen. I'll hop in. Anybody got any answers? Well, maybe I'm asking the right questions, but none of the right people. We'll keep trying. We dropped Susie off at her apartment, swung around, and headed downtown again. The 74 East Lake and a truck driver named Christopher Malone. Maybe I ought to take you home, Willie. I ain't no hurry. But your wife... That's why I ain't no hurry. All right, she's your wife. Don't rub it in. But I'm perfectly willing to share the truck driver with you. Nice truck ain't up front. No. Well, a name plate over the doorbell. Yeah, Malone. Maybe he's a hard sleeper. Yeah, maybe. Second open door tonight. There's the light switch. I got it. You know, a guy could resent our barging in like... Not this one. Well, according to the police, Christopher Malone lives at 74 Eastlake. They're wrong. He's dead William Gargan starring as Barry Craig in just a moment. And now back to William Gargan starring as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tramp came out with a couple of the boys from Homicide. They all stood around and stared at the corpse of the late Mr. Malone. He paid no attention. Corpses rarely do. We'd had a head start. We'd seen him before they did, so we left earlier. Guys don't look good when they're shot full of bullets. It's never been recommended as a duty aid. He was the truck driver who drove away with Susie's bull pedal case, huh? Yeah. So what happened to his truck and the case? I don't know. Well, why would anyone swipe a bull fiddle case without the bull fiddle in it anyways? Maybe he didn't know the fiddle wasn't in the case. Well, he's sure going to be disappointed when he gets home and opens the case and reaches for the fiddle. Somehow, I don't think so. Don't ask me why, either. I won't. You wouldn't answer. Like, if you was to ask me what goes into Willie's Irish stew, would I answer? But uh, this car ain't aimed at my house. Or yours. Neither of us live down on River Street. It's bad. Malone's garage is on River Street. Kind of late for visiting the guy's place of business. Except he won't be transacting business there tonight. I hope. River Street pitched sharply to the Hudson below. A murky light picked out a worn sign swaying in the slight wind. The sign read, Christopher Malone, licensed trucking. The large garage doors were shut. A smaller door set in the panel of one of them was locked. He couldn't look inside. It's been warmer in Alaska. We've got to get in. You figured the truck's inside, huh? Yeah. When we was back at Malone's apartment, why don't you swipe his keys off of him? 
because somebody else had already done so. That ain't comforting. Because whoever knocked off Malone is probably a murderer. Probably. He is a murderer. The question is... Shh. The question is... Shh. Someone coming down the street. Willie, this doorway, quick. Who is it? Too far away yet. Besides, it may be nobody connected with Malone or... What makes you think I'm going to be so lucky? For the coffee I serve alone, I deserve it. It's Brink. Yeah. Stopping at the garage. Big doors. Come on. Lights on inside. Truck's there. Back of it towards us. Brinker must be up front. Come on. We're getting into that truck. <laughs> Trucks ain't very comfortable. Personally, I would rather lay down in a bed. Nice thing. No window between the cab and the rest of the truck back here. So Brinker won't spot us while he keeps going. But, uh, what happens when he stops? We'll worry about that later. You got something better to worry about now? Yeah. Tell me so I can worry about it, too. Over to your left. Hmm? Oh, the blue fiddle case. Still where it was when we spotted it. I should worry about the case? Only about what's inside of it. It was pretty clear, wasn't it? Sure, I didn't know who he might be, but that he'd be there. That was as certain as death. Hey, the joker driving this truck is heading out of town. Come on, we'll try to get that case open. Hey, give me one good reason. Corpses aren't pretty. Remember what Malone looked like? I'm willing to forget. That's what murderers would like. Yeah, okay, we get the case open. Well, there's a snap lock on it. Hope we don't need a key. No. Ought to open easy now. Okay, you got it open and... Grab him, Willie. Okay, I got him. Yeah, but I don't want him. He's dead. Ease him down to the floor. I'll get the case down flat. Uh, he's down. Fine. Well, there's a wallet in his breast pocket. Papers in it. Uh huh. Uh huh. What? His name's Gordon Bentley. Bentley? Hey, that's the guy who owns the club where Susie works. Interesting. Come on, let's put him back in the case. Yeah, but he won't be able to breathe it. Forget I said anything. Okay, let's go. Now, tight fit. Well, it'll do. <sighs> Think of the trouble we would have had if Susie played the piccolo. We wouldn't have been here if she had. That guy was shot, just like Malone? Yeah, which is interesting. I don't think it's any more interesting than if the guy had been strangled or even poisoned. You don't appreciate the finer points. Yeah, what are they? I'll let you know when I find out. Thanks. So do we jump off the truck now or five seconds from now? We stay on. The truck's hitting at least 50. We jump now, we could get killed. We stay on, we will get killed. I doubt it. Why? No one could ever get all three of us into that case. Slowing down. We may have a chance to jump for cover when it stops. 
Uh-oh. Sounds like we're surrounded. We stay. Hey, sooner or later, somebody's going to spot us back here and then Maybe we'll... it'll be later. Shh. How are things, Brinker? Yeah, fine, Mr. Walsh. We got a load ready for you to run in. Okay, Mr. Walsh. Why I'm here. Everybody's leaving. Shh. This trip, I got something special for you, Mr. Walsh. You have? What? I'll tell you about it when we start loading the blood. And we ain't popular. Everybody's gone away. We get out. Hey. The house is set back from the highway. It's a big place. Yeah, yeah, well, let's not wait. We have to. If, if I get out of this alive, I, I'll use meat and hamburgers. Don't say anything you'll be sorry for. Come on. What are we going to do? Knock on the door and tell them we're working our way through college? This wouldn't work. They're still looking for me in the sixth grade. The side of the house, Willie. The servant's entrance? A window. Any place we can see what's going on inside. That one. This gets around, they'll be calling me Peepin' Willie. Lots of guys in there. Very sociable. Not to mention the cases of liquor all over the place. Looks like this would be a warehouse for Bentley's club. Yeah, it's kind of inconvenient. Must be 50 miles out of town. Must be a reason why Bentley keeps his liquor out here. His doctor told him to stay away from liquor. Another one like that and I'll hand you your head. You can't. It's attached to me. Something can be done about that. Hmm. Nice contortions you're going through. Why? Trying to get a better look at the liquor cases. Imported stuff. Yeah. No customs stamp on them. Smuggle, huh? Yeah. Explains the location of this place. The truck. Mr. Walsh and friends. The smugglers, I guess, and also Brinker. The delivery boy, huh? The delivery boy. What it doesn't explain is why Brinker is bringing Walsh a bull fiddle case complete with a recent corpse. The men inside showed signs of moving. Willie and I moved first. Across the road from the truck in a clump of trees. You said you had something special for me this trip, Brinker. Oh, I nearly forgot, Mr. Walsh. What I got for you is a bull fiddle in its case. You don't say. Bentley thinks I ought to start in music, maybe? All I know is you're supposed to keep it here for a while. Okay. I'll have the boys unloaded. But you know something? I'd be a lot happier if instead of a bull fiddle, Susie was in that case. They unloaded the bull fiddle case, loaded the liquor, and the truck went away. Willie and I stuck it out for a while and also went away. You know, Mr. Craig, feet are never going to replace the wheel. Maybe we'll get a hitch soon. We better. Also, we're in a hurry. Well, where do we go from here if we ever get transportation? Susie's apartment. Duty? Or you think it's a nice idea? Willie, duty's always a nice idea. We got a hitch to the nearest town. There I made a quick phone call to Mr. Walsh. I advised him to look inside the bull fiddle case. Then Willie and I grabbed a cab and headed for Susie. We got there. Oh, oh, my, Mr. Craig. I'm Willie. May we come in? Oh, of course you may. I was asleep. I thought you might be, but uh, this is important. Something's happened? Susie, how do you and Bentley get along? Oh, we get along fine. He even wants me to marry him. Well, how do you feel about that? I haven't been able to make up my mind, but he's got so much money that 
Anyway, I'm not sure I can trust him. A man who runs a nightclub, what kind of husband would he make? I never thought about it. So Gordon, that's Mr. Bentley, said he was going to sell the club to prove he really loved me. Did he sell it? He was supposed to, this afternoon. For cash? Oh, sure. I don't think the man Gordon's selling the club to can write. Besides, they wouldn't want to have any records on account of income taxes, so... Well, that's one of the reasons I don't know if I should marry Gordon. That's Mr. Bentley. Have you seen Gordon? That's Mr. Bent. I mean Bentley today? No. My bullfiddle was stolen, so I forgot all about him. And besides, I... We uh, found the bullfiddle case, Susie. Kill it, darling. Where is it? That's not important. What is important is, uh, why was just the case stolen the second time? Rush. Oh, no. Susie, suppose I murder someone. Why would you want to do such a terrible thing? Well, just suppose I do. I murder him in a nightclub. I've got to hide his body until I can dispose of it safely. Now, where can I hide it? Well, don't ask me after all. There's a girl who plays a bull fiddle in the club, which means there's a bull fiddle case around. The man I killed wasn't a big man, so I put him in. My bull fiddle case? Right. Well, it's a very nasty thing. But you didn't kill anyone. Somebody did. Put the corpse in your fiddle case. The corpse? Of who, Mr. Craig? Gordon Bentley. Oh. Yeah. You better sit down. Oh. Oh, that's terrible. I'll never be able to use that case again. Well, I suppose not. I'll never be able to marry Gordon. That's Mr. Bentley, either. You don't really care about that, do you? You mean because I never really loved him? I mean because you already have all his money. Hey, Mr. Craig, you're saying she... That's what I'm saying. She killed Bentley. Oh, for the cash she sold the club for. Only she's such a small girl. She had help. That is Brinker's help. Stop flapping your lips. You don't know a thing. You, Brinker, and Susie killed Bentley. Lifted the cash, hit Bentley in the fiddle case. You arranged for the late Mr. Malone to pick it up and deliver it to Walsh out in the country. You get around, Craig. Thanks. But I spotted that case in the truck, so while I took Susie home, you killed Malone. Closing that road, you thought. He went around thinking such nasty thoughts about me, and I said he was cute. Shut up, Susie. Plan was simple. You delivered the case with Bentley inside and asked Walsh to keep it. Susie went out and planted the stolen bull fiddle story with Willie, and as it happened, with me. Why? Tomorrow morning, Susie would yell to the cops, Bentley is missing. I'd remember the bull fiddle, Brinker would remember Walsh and the country hideout. The cops would grab Walsh, the case, find a corpse in it, and Walsh would fry. Thanks, Willie. I got a surprise for you. It's still gonna be that way. Because after you two jokers go away, you're dead someplace. The program goes on like schedule. Oh. Don't answer that. You don't care who it is. Sure you care. Because before coming here, I phoned your friend Walsh. And I told him to look inside that fiddle case. Right around, boys. Drop the pop gun, Brinker. No. Okay. You should have dropped it, Brinker. Your arm would feel a lot better. But cheer up. Maybe it'll be healed before they execute you. That wasn't a nice thing to say, but then murderers aren't nice people. I phoned the police, and by the time they arrived, Walsh had discreetly gone for a long walk. The cops would get him anyway. However, they took over Brinker and Susie. I, 
I uh, hate to ask, but uh, something must have tipped you off. Susie did. I didn't hear. Sure you did. It was a phony story, Willie. We were supposed to think someone had put Bentley in that fiddle case in the afternoon. Somebody did. Sure. But if they did, the bull fiddle would have been out in the open. It had to be. Yeah, Susie would have noticed that. Would have wondered who took it out. She would have checked. And if she'd been telling the truth, she would have said the case was stolen, not the fiddle. But the truth wasn't what Susie was dealing in. It was murder. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for taking me home. And, uh... After all this time, when I walk into that house where my wife is no doubt waiting up for me and her eyes light on me, it won't be joy, Mr. Craig. Well, what will it be? Murder. You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. (laughs) 